What's up, folks? Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage on today's podcast. Mackenzie Dern has some opinions on beautiful women having to prove themselves more than their male counterparts. Is she right? Marcus Villegas from Fight Hub talks about Wilder versus Fury 3 and all the subplots and accusations that go along with that fight. Mackenzie Dern, of course, uh, daughter of Megaton Diaz. She was raised in the jiu-jitsu life. Incredible submission skills. Might get a title shot with this win this weekend. We will check it out. But she had some comments about basically being a beautiful woman, which she is, in MMA, and how that isn't always easy. Now, i got to read this because this is in Portuguese, so this is a translation I'm reading. You always have to prove yourself. You see men, if men are pretty in people's opinion, opinion men make fun of them. He's not that good. But women, no. They say, let's all watch your fight because she's beautiful. We go through that. You have to prove yourself even more. I'm not here putting on razor thin fights. I'm out here submitting people in my first round. There are fights where I didn't submit my opponent. I had my nose broken. I showed guts, heart, and everything. You think I wanted to have my nose broken? You see Nick Diaz, who just fought, broke his nose, didn't want to fight anymore. He was cool, and I don't judge him. I'm fine with it. But you have to be like, wow, you broke your nose and still came back to fight. You're out there trying to win. That's not for everyone. People think it's easy, but it's not. I'm still trying to grow my fan base among women. I think that's coming naturally as I represent myself as a wife, mother, and fighter. But I still lost 50,000 followers fast. When I announced my pregnancy, and 80,000 total until my next fight. That has definitely changed. The MMA community has more men than women, so it's impossible to have more women than, than men as followers. I was deleting some old photos of sponsors, some old stuff, and thought, let me see if this person that commented here is still following me, and they weren't. And you feel like you've cleaned up. You see OnlyFans and things like that. I don't judge those who have it, but that's not my focus. My focus is represent women and change that idea that only women who can, that can sell is women that are seen by people as beautiful. Because to me, every woman is beautiful. Every woman is pretty. Every woman puts on a show. There are women that don't want to start MMA because they're afraid of being too masculine, changing who they are, and other women are afraid of coming to MMA because men will only talk about their looks. It's a tricky process. You don't have to cross the line with no one, but... It will work out if you're just being yourself. It's working out for me, at least. So, where do we start here? Uh, okay. Kelly Cal, can I get your opinion on this? Sure. Mackenzie Dern, beautiful woman, yes or no? Attractive woman, however you want to put it, yes. I agree. Yep. I think so, too. But I think your opinion matters a lot. So, yeah, she's a good-looking woman. Do they have to prove themselves more to be taken seriously? Maybe that's a valid point. But part of the reason is we as a fan base, and this is for men and women, I believe, um, we tend to believe that attractive men and women get opportunities that people who aren't attractive don't get. So we always wonder, I think, in the back of our heads, is this person getting the opportunity because they're a good fighter, because they're good looking? I do believe that is a concern. Roger Huerta did not get on the cover of Sports Illustrated based on his fighting ability. And Kelly laughs because she knows what I'm talking about. Just a good looking dude. Okay? Never bought and beat anyone of consequence, really, in his career. Uh, Clay Guida, yeah. And then as soon as he started fighting real town, he fell apart, and that's it. He got a lot of opportunities because he was a good-looking guy. He was a poster boy for the sport. Uh, Felice Herrig is not a great fighter, but she's gotten a lot of attention. Why? She's very good-looking. 
Uh, Paige Van Zandt, so we've brought up quite a bit. She got a great contract from Bare Knuckle. She's 0-2 in Bare Knuckle. Because partly because she looks great. So you tend to get opportunities uh, if you're good-looking, male or female. Luke Rockhold is literally a model. But you get more opportunities, but you have to shed the idea that those opportunities are just because of your looks. So I agree with her to one in one sense. Do I have to work harder? I think you get opportunities regardless. Um, I don't think you have to work harder for the opportunities. You might have to work harder to be taken seriously. Because of instances I can name where fighters got opportunities because they're good looking, uh, people might think that's why you're getting your opportunities. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It really is. In Mackenzie Dern's case, I don't think anyone can deny her skills. I don't think anyone can deny her background. I don't think anyone can deny what she brings to the octagon, regardless of how she looks. But, yeah, I think it's an issue in this community. I think it's an issue in every community, period. Um, People who are good-looking tend to get over. People who are not. And that's it. And uh, is that a a stereotype that can hurt? Up-and-coming fighters who do happen to be good-looking, who do happen to be effective. Valentina Shevchenko is a fantastic example. She is good-looking. She's also knocking people's heads off. She has both, and that's amazing, and that's great. Cyborg has been knocking people dead for how many years? And it seems like she just gets crap because she, quote, looks like a dude. And that bro logic of her masculine features, people dragging her through the mud... Rather than saying, wow, she's a great fighter. But I can think of a lot of examples of, of, of fighters who have gotten just more opportunities because they look better. Where a fighter gets beat and the fighter who beats them isn't as attractive and they're kind of just, I don't know, put on the burner, right? They're just kind of on the, on the shelf. But the fighter that looks better is going to get over and get more opportunities. It's kind of like high school, people. It just is. It's kind of high school. That's the mentality here. And it's unfortunate, but it's part of the sport. Uh, Kelly Kelly, do you think I'm dealing with this topic fairly? Because it's a double-edged sword. It is. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think with anything, um, you need to give both ends of the stick. And I think you've done that. Like, good-looking people, I do think, not just in fighting, just in life, tend to get more opportunities. But like you said, like, I don't... I don't know. Like, you get more opportunities, which is obviously a good thing. But then again... You always have that to fall back on. Like, Luke Rockhold could do, like, something so cool. And everyone's like, well, yeah, you don't want to see him get his face bashed in because that's the moneymaker. Like, right, he's the right. model. Exactly, yeah. But it's like, then you also have, like, Paige Van Zandt, who's, like, an okay fighter. Mediocre you know? at but, best. Right. Medi- like she's mediocre average, at best. Right, average. But gets countless opportunities in and out of fighting because she's so gorgeous. Yeah. It, so... You'll get more opportunities, but will those opportunities be seen by the fans and other fighters as legit? Or are you seen as, oh, you got that because you because of how you look? And it sucks. Fortunately, it's not an issue I have to deal with. Me and KOB are pretty safe, right? I'm just saying, KOB, what's that like, bro? What's it like being, you know... Not good luck. It's it's okay sometimes. Sometimes you're under the being, radar, right? Being judged on your merit all the time. It has its it has its like you know its, its drawbacks <laughs> and pros. But I mean, like <laughs> when I have merit, you know, we have we have faces for radio, people. We do. We have faces for radio. That's what we do. I mean, it would be it would be nice if I could slack a little bit and have someone. You know what? No big deal. You're good looking, but no, you got to try to like 
keep it keep your a game going at all times it's a real pain actually yeah it's tough huh i think that's a lot harder to be perfectly honest and i gotta be on my (laughs) all the time because i just can't fall back on my modeling career you know no (laughs) we cannot we cannot and it's it sucks but it's true but yeah there's always this thing of of you know i fought a guy named jason chambers uh my last professional fight and the guy was an actor he was a model literally like google him the dude looks like an underwear model he's got a jason chambers and when I did the interview to fight him, there's a local show called Pangea in L.A. The promoter comes to my my, my house, or my gym, I forget what it was, and, like, interviewed me and said, like, man, he's so good looking. Don't you want to just punch him in the face? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little. I was like, I remember saying that at the time. Like, yeah, I do kind of want to punch him in the face. It's true. Anybody with those kind of looks, you want to hurt him a little bit. We laughed about it. We thought it was funny. But, yeah, man, I fought a guy who looked like a damn underwear model. And when we were at the club, and I won the fight, by the way. And I win the fight, and then we're at the club, and chicks were just – I think he had two of them. They had one under each arm. There were Chicks were just all over this guy, and he's limping around on one leg and just getting over, man. And it's, it is it is what it is, and there's I nothing we can do about I missed the first half of the story. Was he a good-looking guy? Google him right now, Jason Chambers. Okay. Jason Chambers. Because I was going he's good-looking, and he's, like, vulnerable at that point. Like, he needs, some like, a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> well, I God. he-hooked him pretty good. Oh. So – Yes, that that's him. So uh, I love it how you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, all right, so yes or no? Yes or no, Kelly Kell? And she's trying to answer, and she can't. What do you think? In another life, I was one of those girls that you saw. <laughs> <laughs> in a lo- another life as in right now? As in right now? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, but I – quite literally wasn't there so like if i so yes been. you were you were a little young back then this was 2006 but yeah so i beat jason chambers he's an actor he's a he's a model all that stuff it's really kind of funny to me but yeah so but yeah they were all i was at the club by myself by the way at the after party just uh you know hanging out having water and worked out great and anyway so that was my life so that's that's the difference in the way it goes when you're good looking and when you're not so jason if you're listening to it you're the man appreciate you Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Marcos Viegas, who is on the ground, right? Pulling up to the hotel right now, getting ready to go. That's why he's joining us last minute because he loves this show. Marcos Viegas, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Do, doing fantastic, my man. So you're on the ground uh, right now in Vegas. What's the deal, bud? Just getting in? Yeah, we're, well, I've been here for the whole week for all the events uh, for the press conference, but I actually just got finished watching Caleb Plant work out as uh, he's preparing for his Canelo uh, fight. And, man, uh, Caleb looks really sharp. He only has like, uh, about a month left. And I know we're talking about this Wilder fight, but that's another tremendous fight that's going to happen later uh, this year. Oh, we'll be talking about that for sure. Uh, how does the cut look that he got during the weigh-in scuffle? Uh, yeah, does that look you know like it's, it's good or what? Yeah, so we're there. We're, I'm interviewing him, and I'm looking at it, and it, it's healed up, but it, it looks like it's turned into a scar which is kind of weird because he said it was a scratch. 
and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, like, scratch, scabs up, and then you're fine. But this this looked like, you know, he left a scar on him. So, it, it's, you know, it looks like it's healed up, but there's definitely a scar there now. How did you feel about that? While we're on the subject, I might as well talk about it, because it was stunning to me as an MMA guy. We see scuffles between mixed martial artists all the time, and it's usually Dina White or Sean Shelby or somebody there to make sure that doesn't happen, or they try to have people on the stage. Having those two guys face off alone with no one around as long as they did, did you think that might be a problem? Because I did. As I was looking at them, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be an issue. Did you think it would be? That should, yeah, that should always be a problem when you got two you know, alpha dudes, alpha bros, you know, squaring up and facing off each other in, in that sort of uh, situation. I think because for the most part, something like that doesn't happen. I think it was just an oversight on their end, but it's like, come on, you know, you got to be smarter than this. This is a multi-million dollar fight. This is a fight that fell apart once before due to, you know, little clauses here and there uh, with contracts. Like you don't want to go ahead and risk it. Uh, and, you know, it, it almost got risked because of what happened in with, you know, luckily it wasn't a deep cut on Caleb's part, but yeah, you know, the worst could have happened if it was a deeper cut. So yeah, I thought that was really odd that they didn't have security there. All right. So let's move on to the fight. We're all looking forward to this weekend, which is Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. There are a million X factors in this fight, right? We have the mental health of Tyson Fury, which hasn't been great. We have the excuses of Deontay Wilder. We have the new camp of Deontay Wilder. We have the time off. We have the fact that the Joshua flight fell through. We have the COVID issue with Tyson Fury that he's recovering from. What's the biggest X factor in your mind looking at this fight? I think it's two things. One, with any Deontay Wilder fight, it's his power. You know, he, he could be losing every single minute of every single round and completely erases all that with one punch. And he's shown the ability before in other fights that he was getting outboxed with Luis Ortiz and others. And even in the first uh, Fury fight, he showed that, you know, he, he can put him down and almost put him out. Now, the second thing I think is a big factor is his, uh, not mental health, but his mentality coming into the fight if he really believes in himself and what's going to happen when Tyson Fury puts him in the same positions that he put him in the second fight. And is he going to revert back to those dark moments? And is he going to be able to adjust and get out of those situations? Or is he going to crumble? Those are the two things I think that are really key for this in this third fight. Uh, what did you think? And in the press conference, when obviously uh, he talked about all of his excuses and Tyson Fury was more than happy to point out that you have 15 different excuses for why you lost. The one that really stuck with me is he called his corner man, Mark Breland, who was there for the second fight. He said he had a treacherous corner man. I think even in the in the vein of boxing trash talk, that was cringy to hear him calling his former trainer who stopped the fight because of his health and safety uh, a traitor. I, I really didn't like hearing that at all. What was the reaction to that in the, in the boxing world, man? I think the boxing world shared the same reaction that you had. You know, I, I think Breland did him a favor and actually extended his career uh, by having, you know, showing compassion for him in, in in that fight, like, look, he, he was on the way of getting hurt really, really bad, more than w what had happened. You know, he, he could have gotten knocked out just completely cold, and I understand a fighter's mentality wanting to go on their shield, but that's the whole purpose why you have a corner. A corner's there to save you from yourself, to save you from the situation so you can live to fight another day, and I thought it, it was, you know, very, very ill-advised on his end to do that, to be like that towards Breland, to fire him. Uh, for that, because I, I think he did the most out of anybody in that corner 
uh, in stopping that fight when he did, which honestly could have been stopped sooner. When you look at it now, have you been keeping track of, uh, for example, the open workouts? Has he done a lot of stuff where people have been able to evaluate his technique with this new team, these new coaches? Has that ha- been an opportunity you've had? And that's my first question. To look at him in training, no, this camp's been yeah. closed off to everybody. Like There's been very you know limited access. They only put out what they want to put out. But from the new stuff that they have put out, when they have, you could tell the, that he has been working on little things. He does look a little bit more fluid. He looks like he's letting his hands go a little bit more. Uh, and he's looked like they're planning to target the body. And his trainer, Malik Scott, earlier this week said, hey, you know, Tyson Fury's a big guy. You know, there's a lot of body there to hit. Why wouldn't we go ahead and target the body? So that's something that I, I think they're going to try to implement in the fight. If it's a smart thing or not, I'm not sure. Because Fury has said, hey, you go and you target my body. He's opening himself up to get countered and even knocked out. Uh, what effect do you think this has? And of course, I'm, I'm uh, speaking to Marcos Villegas, uh, boxing expert, one of my favorite minds in boxing. We're talking about the uh, Fury Wilder fight. Uh, when you look at it, the, the, the delays, the COVID, the Anthony Joshua fight, them going to court to basically prevent that fight and enforce their rematch clause, what do you think these delays, what effect they have on the fight, if any? Um, hmm. Uh, you know, th- there's a few. I think the momentum of the fight, it, it kind of took away from it compared to when the second one happened. Uh, you know, obviously, COVID was a, a big part of that. But even when the fight was supposed to happen a few months ago and Tyson Fury ended up getting COVID, I think, you know, the more delays kind of leaves a, a sour, uh, you know, it, it'll get a fan thing like, oh, God, you know, and then they start losing interest in it. Uh, the other thing, too, is, because there's been so many delays, I worry about the mindset of Tyson Fury coming into this mm-hmm. fight. You know, there's been rumors that he didn't have the best camp, that, you know, the, his daughter getting ill and then him getting COVID, he's not at optimal training conditions now. They're never going to admit to that. Uh, in, in interviews, you know, we've all asked them, and they said, like, hey, this is the best he's looked. You know, take that with a grain of salt. You know, you never know. But because of COVID and the delays, there are little folds in there that, you know, honestly gets me thinking like, hey, if, if he doesn't take this seriously as he did the second one or he's not in the best shape or at least the same shape he was in the second one, there's a good chance he could get caught with the punch because, look, in the first fight he got cute. He, he lost focus for a second and look what happened. He got put on his butt and he almost didn't get up. Like if that fight would have happened in any other state, especially in New York, it would have been called a, a knockout right away and we wouldn't have been here at this point for this third fight. So... Uh, it, it is something that I, I am thinking. Uh, when it comes to psychological advantages, right, does the fact that Mark Breland uh, ditched as the coach, all these other excuses from Deontay Wilder that uh, he was drugged and that the raps were loaded and all this stuff, um, if he believes these things, if he really believes it, do you think that's a good or a bad thing? Meaning, I don't think this is pre-fight hype. I think he really believes that Tyson Fury cheated. Well, if believing he's the better man might give him some form of confidence, but it also means he doesn't have to look at the fight straight in the eye. He doesn't have to make a lot of adjustments. I was the better guy. He only won because he cheated. What do you think is is what do you think is better if he does or does not believe what he's saying? I think if okay. You know, he, he obviously believes all that stuff. In his mind, it's his way to cope with everything as to why he looked the way he did, you know, regardless of what you think. And because of that, I think 
you know, it's a, a mental wall put in place to avoid maybe doubting himself and doubting the belief in himself coming into this fight. Uh, you know, you, you can't go into a fight having any sort of deep self-doubt. You know, obviously there's going to be doubt, you know, coming into any sort of competition like, hey, did I train enough? You know, did I work on this enough or this aspect enough? You know, it, that, that happens. That's normal. But uh, a, a crack in, in self-belief in yourself. Uh, if that was put in as a, a protection for him mentally, I, I could see that. But then again, okay, if he's just using that and saying, like, hey, you know, I don't need to work on anything. Like, I would have won that second fight if none of this stuff would have happened. That would be the dumbest thing to do for him and a, a trainer in training camp. And I think Malik Scott's a, you know, a, a good mind for boxing, and he's aware of all this stuff. And he's the one that's been looking at the tape and everything like that. But, you know, it, it could go the way that you mentioned where, you know, maybe he's thinking like, nah, like I would have beaten this guy if none of this stuff would have happened. I'm fine coming into this. It's interesting, isn't it? The men- the mentality of it is uh, – it- it's strange. Now, I'm-, I'm speaking, of course, to Marcos Villegas from Fight Hub TV about the boxing match this weekend. What's the feel right now on the ground in Vegas? Because there's always like a big fight feel. It's almost like there's something in the air when you look at it, a big fight like this, the days leading up to it. What's it like on the ground in terms of the, the I guess, casual fan, the man on the street interest in this fight? Yeah, you know what? I, I'll be real honest. You know? Please. And yeah, so for the, the Pacquiao-Ugas fight, you know, there was more people here. You know, obviously Manny Pacquiao is a worldwide figure, you know, but the atmosphere was a little bit more livelier, uh, and I just feel overall that there was a sense that maybe this could be Manny's final fight which is weird because, oddly, if things don't go the way uh, for Wilder and he ends up getting stopped, this could end up actually being his last fight, too. Uh, but because the, the weigh-in that's about to happen in about an hour or so is closed, uh, no public's allowed, you know, travelers from the U.K. aren't allowed to come into the country until November 4th, there is something missing from the atmosphere because usually when uh, a Fury fight week happens and there's fans allowed, they, they come in droves for him. So it is missing that. I, I think the night of the fight, it will be packed. It's a heavyweight title fight, one that's anticipated, one that has a lot of bad blood between them. You know, that, that, I think that's where the big fight feel is going to happen for everybody involved. But at, at this point, yeah, it's been, it's been missing a bit. But I, I think a big factor because of that is because of uh, the restrictions from COVID. Uh, that's understandable. When, when, you, when you look at it in terms of the Anthony Joshua fight, falling through, of course, losing to Alexander Usyk, uh, it, it was that part of it? Because when I talk to a lot of people, my crew here at SiriusXM included, uh, when I ask about the excitement level, they go, ah, I was really looking forward to the Joshua fight. Like, this is good, oh, yeah, no, but we, I feel like I'm were. getting second place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was the fight we wanted. That, that, yeah. that was the fight, you know. But look, okay. Mayweather, I mean, excuse me, Marquez, Pacquiao, four, all right? Pacquiao gets knocked out. Everybody's like, okay, there goes the Mayweather fight. Manny goes on and, and gets some great wins uh, in the next few fights, and we finally get that fight and ends up being the biggest fight ever. Fury and Joshua is still going to be a huge fight. Is it, does it have the same what's on the line as before? No, because Usyk's now the unified heavyweight champion, and for, the, for there to be an undisputed, obviously – Joshua and Usyk have to have a, a, a rematch, and if Usyk wins, we, we, we get Fury and Usyk. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little different. It's a different taste now because we know that it's not what it once was, but it's still a huge fight. It's still an interesting fight. It's still a fight that me as a fight fan, I want to see, and I think 
because it's Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, one of the two biggest names in the heavyweight division, people will still want to tune in for it. And look, you know, look, say Usyk beats Joshua again, and then Fury goes into an Usyk fight, and he beats Usyk, and then Joshua comes up again. That's an undisputed fight again. Obviously, it's not the same, but it's, you know, we could still end up getting an undisputed fight, though it would probably be a defense from Fury if he's successful uh, for that Joshua fight in the future, but it's still a big fight. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner. I respect you too much as a journalist to do that. Talking to Marcos Viegas from Fight Hub TV, but yeah, don't get me in trouble, Jimmy. I don't will not do that. You know these fighters. I know this, these, these picks against you. I get them so mad at me. You have no idea. But <laughs> what round do you think will know which way this fight is going to go? Because we talked about the X factors, the power, of course, of uh, power power of Deontay Wilder, but the boxing of Tyson Fury. At what round do you think we'll settle in and know what kind of fight this is going to be? Yeah, usually, you know, with any boxing match, the first round, the second round, or feeling out rounds. You know, the people are the fighters in there are looking for the timing, the rhythm, seeing if if a hand goes down a little bit, looking for things there that they could exploit, they could set up, start setting traps, or you know, jabbing to the top, jabbing to the body, jabbing to the body, fainting, seeing how they wreck when they faint. I think it's really going to start playing out three, four, and five. I think that's when you're going to see one person or the other start asserting, start landing a little bit more, start seeing like, oh, wait a second, that jab is landing, and they're going to keep, keep on it, keep on it, keep on it. And I think in the second fight, Right away, Fury came to him, and I think he's going to come to him again because he, he knows that regardless of how much time he spent working in the gym, you can't make up for a lifetime of boxing training, and that's what Fury has, and that's what Wilder doesn't have. But with that being said, I think they're going to feel each other out, but we are going to start seeing them exchange, I think, a little bit more quicker in rounds two, three, and four because at the end of the day, I think both these guys, because of the bad blood, because of the excuses from Wilder's part, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of bad blood there. And I, I feel also Wilder's in a position that he needs to make up for all that stuff that he said, you know, and, and he needs to give a good accord for himself as well because he has another bad performance that could lead to maybe, you know, him economically, fans not being interested in seeing him again. He needs to have a good performance. Obviously, he needs to get the win. But if not, he needs to show a good account of himself so he can still go into fights with Andy Ruiz, with Anthony Joshua, with Usyk, with all these other heavyweights as well. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoy Las Vegas. Marcos Vegas, Fight Hub TV. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate your time, bud. I love you, Jimmy. Thank you, man. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.